Can everyone see me okay? Then I'm behind the pulpit here. This pulpit humbles preachers, Adam, I'll tell you. If you happen to be short, it humbles you. What were you trying to teach me? It's, uh, it's working. You know, the great thing about this pulpit is I only had to iron my collar. That's it. Not even wearing a, a suit jacket. You don't know. But I love this pulpit. This is great. It's really uh, quite spacious up here. Um, it's actually a bit of a change of pace from coming from 10 people in a mobile home in Lancaster County. It is very nice up here. It's good. And you might ask your, uh, yourself, how does that guy have a chance to prepare for a sermon in that confined space with that many people? And uh, it's a good question. I, have you guys ever heard of noise-canceling headsets? It's a great invention, I'll tell you. The, the, uh, the problem is you don't know when the kids are trying to kill one another. But... You know, there, there's a blessing in disguise because they're learning the value of diplomacy, and so it's it's excellent. They uh, it really helped me with this topic. No, but it's a, it's a good reminder to come to the Word of God humbly, and to approach the Word of God with humility. And today I'm preaching on stewardship, stewardship. And I was telling my dad what I was preaching on, and he had a very honest reaction that probably a lot of you have thought sounds like a guilt sermon. That's what he told me. It sounded like a guilt sermon. I thought that is a great reaction. That is, that, that is a, a, I think, a typical reaction we have when we hear stewardship or giving. And, you know, right from the start, I'm going to calm everybody down. As long as you're not selfish with your time or your talent or your money or your kids, you will come out unscathed. You will be just fine. No guilt here. But, you know, the Bible makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It it often unsettles us. When we preach faithfully, the Bible can make us quite unsettled, actually. It touches a nerve that, I don't want pricked. Don't get near that. And the Bible just <laughs> plows right into it, right? It makes us unsettled. And I, I read a, a good article from Desiring God on this very topic, the unsettling nature of the Bible. And the writer gives a prayer in regards to this. This is what he says. Whatever idols needs to be shattered, shatter them. Whatever lies need to be broken, break them. Discomfort me. Rework me. Unsettle me. Whatever it takes to bring me to you, God, do it. What if we all approach the Bible this way? You see... God doesn't want to stay for us to stay marinating in guilt. He didn't want the prodigal son to stay eating pig slop and saying, woe is me, woe is me, I'm here eating pig slop. What a guilty failure. He also didn't want the prodigal son to be running after riches and immorality and everything that moth and rust can destroy. He didn't want him there either. And so what did the father do? He called the son home. To himself, where he was embraced, where he was treated to a feast, where the son realized true happiness was found in the presence and communion of his father. And today when we talk about stewardship, the goal uh, isn't to produce guilt. The goal is to point us all to the source of all happiness and joy, that we might keep our eyes focused on Jesus and his kingdom. 
And like Piper says, we ought not be playing in a mud puddle when the Grand Canyon is behind us. Turn around, folks, and look at the canyon. Don't be satisfied playing in the mud. And that's what we want to do today. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, whatever idols need to be shattered, shatter them. Whatever lies need to be broken, break them. Discomfort us, rework us, unsettle us, whatever it takes to bring us to you, God, and see your supreme value and the treasure we have in Christ and his kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So, stewardship. What is stewardship? Let's quickly define what uh, stewardship is. Stewardship from, comes from the Greek word oikonomos, which means somebody who manages or oversees a household. And we can point to uh, Joseph in Scripture managing Potiphar's household. He was in charge of everything, everything to do with the household. He was a steward of Potiphar. He managed everything, but he was not the owner. And we are stewards. We are not owners. And our first hint of that is, is not subtle at all. It comes from the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created, not we created, not we, we didn't have any part in it. God created the heavens and the earth. And so we see this quite clearly in Scripture. And we can put up Psalm 24.1 on the screen. And it says this, The earth is the Lord's and all that fills it. The world and those who dwell therein. The NIV says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Where is our ownership in anything there? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Haggai 2.8 says the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. Deuteronomy 8.18 says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. 1 Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Everything, everything belongs to the Lord. The car you drove in today, the money in your wallet or not in your wallet, the your children that you have, your spouse, your wealth, your retirement accounts, your talents, your abilities, your intelligence, on and on and on. Everything belongs to the Lord. Genesis 1, 26 and 28 lays the groundwork for stewardship. It says, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion. Let them be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth and subduing it. Stewardship was about exercising our uh, God-given dominion over His creation. It was reflecting the image of the Creator, God, in His care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beauty of creation. Have you ever wondered... Why everybody works, 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 works? Who? I mean, it's, it's, this, it's the, a society of constant work and work and work. Well, it's a twisting, yes, but it's, it's a playing out of one of the things man was created to do. To work, to subdue, to have dominion. 
Stewardship is about exercising our God-given dominion over His creation. Stewardship is our obedient witness to God's sovereignty. How we steward will, will show God's sovereignty or should point to God's sovereignty in all things. It implies the care of people, the, the care of resources, the gifts, the talents, and the grace of the Lord. Everything. Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper says this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. He is King. He is Lord. C.S. Lewis says, Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you are devoted, if you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to His service, you could not give Him anything that was not, in a sense, His own already. So, we see how man is to be stewards of God's creation. But, of course, something happened in the garden. Man falls into sin. He falls into rebellion against God. And God could have righteously taken back everything to Himself and sent mankind to hell and closed that chapter. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need your pocketbook. He doesn't need your great abilities. He doesn't need our talents. He certainly doesn't need our treasure. But what did God do? We discover that God is a God that gives. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And this is a great devotional. And in it, it says, Redemption at its most basic level is God giving us a gift. Now, we give gifts typically to those who have treated us well. Or when we've wronged someone. Men, you know what I'm talking about? Chocolate, diamonds, flowers... That never worked on April. I gave her, when I was dating her, chocolate and ammunition. And uh, anytime I was giving her flowers, I thought it might remind her that she had ammunition. So I had to tread lightly. We give gifts when we've done something wrong or when someone has done something good for us, right? Here's a gift. What about God? God gives rebellious creation, rebellious mankind. God being the innocent party and the offended party, He's the one giving the gift to us. He gives the gift of redemption. He gives the gift of reconciliation, the gift of propitiation, the gift of justification, the gift of sanctification, the gift of Victory. So, as you look at all that He has given us, whether you acknowledge it or not, God gives the non-Christian and the uh, Christian everything. And yet for the Christian, for the Christian, what does He give us? He gives those who are united to Christ something supremely more valuable. He gives Himself He gives us Christ. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the kingdom of God. Here we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. God gives us everything. 
And that leads James to ask, what did you have that you did not receive? The sun rises on the wicked and the righteous. And yet, for the Christian who puts their faith in Christ alone, he gives salvation. He gives us eternal life. He gives us paradise with him. He gives you peace and comfort here that can never be taken away. And the kingdom of God is the sum of all of our spiritual and natural benefits. And he tells us all the best is yet to come. He says in Corinthians, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. The best is yet to come. And what is our response to all this? That's great. I got my heavenly insurance. I'm good. We are called to be faithful. We're not the potter, we are the clay. Praise God for that. And we're called to be obedient to God in every sphere of our life. We are called to be radical in our trust for the Lord in the midst of trials, in the midst of sufferings. We are called to take risks. Yes, risks. Trusting God and not ourselves. So now, now we, you know, as we have Christ, we live out faithfulness to Him. And so today we're going to look at a few ways We can do that with our time, our children, our treasure. And we're going to consider how we can steward these things wisely. So, regarding time. You know what the Bible says about time, right? Here is my prop, my spray bottle for those listening online. This is a spray bottle, right? This is going to demonstrate your life In one easy second, I want you to watch your life go by right now because this is what the Bible describes about your life in James. It calls you a vapor, okay? Mist. All right, I've not not tried this. I don't know if it's going to, what this is going to look like. Okay, back row. You see that way back there? That's the point. Yeah, that's your life right there. Now you see it, now you don't. Now, I want to, for teenagers, for teenagers, let me show you where your life in relation to this is, okay? That's about 120 over there, okay? You're about right here, okay? There's your life, it's gone. Now you see it, now you don't. You are a mist. Isn't that encouraging? You're a mist. In, uh, in real estate, we have this clause. It says... Time is of the essence. You know what that means? The clock is ticking. You want this home? The clock is ticking. For our life, time is of the essence, folks. We we don't know how long we have, but life is short. The Bible tells us what we are, right? We're a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is short. You don't have all the time in the world. I don't have all the time in the world. One of the things that I, I really that really troubles me that you'll often see older people do with, with younger younger children is they'll say, Oh, you are so young. You ha- I mean, oh. You you just don't realize how young you are, right? What is that implying? You got all the time in the world. No, you don't. You don't. Life is short. You have no idea how much time is allotted. Time is of the essence. They say that time is the great equalizer. We all have 24 hours in a day. What a lie. 
in 24 hours, 6,300 people will be dead. Every second, one person dies statistically, or around two people die statistically. In one day, 151,000 people die throughout the whole earth. They didn't get their 24 hours today. We don't know how much time we have. Time is of the essence. And, and what that means for the Christian isn't to scare us or, or make us terrified. No. No, quite the opposite. We, though, however, are to take it seriously. Seriously. You know what 1 Timothy 4.12 says? Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That's you young folks. Don't wait until you, you, tomorrow to get right with God. How does this apply to our lives? Well, we are to be, repent quickly. Don't linger in sin. Don't marinate in sin. We don't have much time. Don't delay putting off the flesh and putting on the deeds of the Spirit. Spirit, Do it now. Repent and live for the kingdom. See the vision of where, see the goal of where we're headed. Your life is a mist. My life is a mist. We don't have all the time in the world. Time is of the essence. You know what the Bible says? It says, do not be anxious for this. Can anyone add a single hour to his span of life? We're not to live in fear over this. We have Jesus, right? We trust in God. We have a hope beyond death. But what does it do? What does it do? Gets us acting like time is of the essence. It gets us stewarding our lives faithfully before the throne of God. Repent quickly. Don't linger in sin. Don't delay putting off something like apologizing or asking for forgiveness or, or, or seeking the Lord or getting a, a brother or sister to help you with sin. Don't delay. How about, out, how about our bodies? How, how do we steward our bodies? I was ironically eating potato chips as I wrote this last night. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Or do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Does anyone doubt that the Holy Spirit can convict us on how we treat our bodies? If I have three hours of sleep, if I'm running on three hours of sleep, do you think I'm going to be charming? Do you think I'm going to be more easily tempted to fall into sin? What are we filling with our bodies? Do you think that makes a difference? Paul says, I, you know, all things are lawful, but I will not, I will not be enslaved to anything. We know what enslaves us. The spirit pricks our heart. And when we are enslaved to something, we, we, we are very protective of it. Don't get near that. And so what the Bible says is, listen, think about it from a spiritual perspective, okay? Yes, Working out is of some value, but connected to the spiritual. You are spiritual beings in physical bodies. The way we take care of our bodies and steward is going to matter. Now, in the end, our bodies will break down. In the end, they will, they will fall apart, won't they? And that's why we don't hold on to this with an iron grip saying, you know, I, I, I will beat death. No, we won't, but 
we humbly realize we're not God. Get some sleep. How about stewarding our children? We know children can go wayward. That is discouraging. I mean, has your child ever done something before? And you're like, where did you learn that? Oh, that couldn't have been me. No. Yeah, it was me. They learned it from me, right? Stewarding your children can be discouraging, but it can also be incredibly rewarding. But that's not the bottom line. The bottom line is that we do it faithfully. The bottom line is the scriptures are clear that parents be diligent to train up your child in the ways of the Lord. How can you do this if you're not in the Word? How can we do this if, if, we're, if, we're, if the kids aren't, the kids know when we're pretending, right? How can we do this? We, we, we do it faithfully. We do it faithfully, and we don't know what the outcome is. That's not the point. That's not the point. There's been many people who have faithfully parented, and their children have taken a different path in God's sovereignty, and we don't understand why. There's also been many parents who have seen their children grow up and faithfully serve the Lord. Praise God. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about faithfully doing what God calls us to do with our limited amount of time with our kids. My kids are growing up so fast. Time is ticking. Time is of the essence. Now we get to treasure. See, I, I put this at the end, right? You guys, uh, you guys were clinging to your pocketbooks. Now you let go. Now, now you're, you know, okay, tricked you. I'm indebted to Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. I, anyone that wants this book, come see me afterwards. I'll get it to you next week. Um, if you read it. If you read it. I would, I would love for this whole church to read The Treasure Principle and to read this. Because you, you, you might not agree with Randy Alcorn on everything, 100%. But, you know, he's just laying down scripture about it, what it means to use our treasures for the kingdom. It's convicting for me. 15% of everything Jesus talks about in the Bible is in reference to money and possessions. That's more than his teaching on heaven and hell. There is a fundamental spiritual connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle money. In fact, your family budget, whether you think it's, you know, whether you have one written out or not, it's a, you know, you're, you're using something, right? Your family budget is a spiritual tool, and so is the church budget. It's spiritual. In fact, our spending reveals what we truly value, as does our time, as does our talent. What do you value, church? What does Lad Lesh value? We are God's money managers. He has given us all that we have, and it's vitally important we understand that how we spend God's money matters to God. Now, there's, there's a passage, 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, which you can look to, which, which gives you the freedom to enjoy uh, some of your wealth on things that you, know, you might want to do. But do you see how I phrase that? As if giving's not joy. That's the lie we bought into. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. is when your heart is generous. When your heart sees what God has given you, you can't help but start giving and being generous and realizing this isn't it. This isn't it. And so out of that comes a joyful heart to give. Now, 
If you're someone that doesn't put an emphasis on generosity or giving, read the book. Because we struggle. I struggled. I've struggled. I still struggle with this. You know, I'm a budget guy. I'm an Excel file guy. I budget to the penny. So what I give is, is set, right? I mean, now I thankfully feel like God is allowing me to give more and more joyfully. And I'm excited about that. But if you're one of these people that are like, I did my tithe, I did my 10%, I'm good to go, you're, you need this book. You need to read the book, which is full of Scripture. Interestingly enough, Randy Alcorn doesn't make a penny on this book. All royalties go to giving causes he, he's chosen. I think that's uh, wonderful. But we are God's money managers. What does the Bible say? So much. We don't have time to cover it all. Ecclesiastes 5 is a good place to start. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Isn't that true? I forget who said it. It was some, some billionaire. He said, they asked him, maybe it was Rockefeller, they asked him, how much do you need to be satisfied? He, just, he said, just one dollar more. Isn't that true? We're all in this rabbit race. The world is bought in to more is better. More and more. It's, it's a heart issue, Right? And it doesn't necessarily mean money or, or it doesn't mean stuff, right? It can mean more pleasures, more, more you know, selfish pursuits, more, more, more for you know, things that are going to perish. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. This is all from Ecclesiastes 5. What benefit are they, are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? You can't take a U-Haul to your gravesite. I have seen grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Think about how much greed propels society. How many issues come as a result of greed. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. You will go out of this world exactly as you came in, bringing nothing. So, what does the Bible say? Well, it's hopeless. Don't even worry about it. Don't just live in poverty your whole life, and that's the solution, right? That's what... The Bible says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves cannot break in and steal it. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I saw this really... Uh, powerfully on display with my grandmother. My grandmother had uh, and grandfather um, uh, were are just wonderful folks. My grandfather has since gone to be with the Lord, and uh, they they had this home that they built together in Maine, right on the coast. One of the prettiest places I've ever been. But they built it by by hand from an old shell of a building. And my grandfather got Alzheimer's, and they had to get rid rid of the home. So she sold the home. And the new owners came in and gutted the whole thing. And, you know, it's a powerful reminder. And, of course, they realize this isn't going to last. But that, that was clear. The stuff you own, the stuff you have, is going to fade like rust. Have you ever been to a junkyard? I'm going to take my kids to a junkyard and just show them all of the stuff People have collected. You know how many people have spent their lives 
searching after, seeking this stuff. Finally, they acquire it. And where does it end up? It ends up in the junk pile. And this, this is what we, we so often seek and hold tightly and, and want, to, want to control. Maybe it's based on fear. What does the Bible say about giving? You, Christian, will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Do you want to miss out on that? Do we want to miss out on that as a church? 1 Timothy 6 says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Put them behind a big podium. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. You remember the story Jesus told of, of the, the man in the field that was walking across the field and he found the treasure that was buried? What did he do? Anyone remember? What did he sell? How much? Everything. He sold everything. He knew that by selling everything, he would gain the treasure, right? It was an act of faith. I'm going to sell everything because the treasure awaits me. And so I'm willing to get rid of everything I see tangibly here and now, and I'm going to go and I'm going to have a treasure awaiting us. Did he, did he lose the treasure is what I'm trying to get at. Did he lose No, he gained the treasure, right? Earthly treasures won't last. We need to get the big picture. Your 401k won't last. Your valued property won't last. What are treasures in heaven? Those are things that will last. Very briefly, I just want to go through just a few things in closing that are going to last. Alcorn says, Treasures in heaven are are a material or spiritual nature, but they are true rewards. There are five different crowns given in the Bible which represent actual ruling positions in God's kingdom. It will include reward. The Bible is full of verses on rewards for those who live faithfully before Him. The Bible talks about rewards in Ephesians 6, Romans 2, Luke 6, Luke 14, many other places. Now, salvation and rewards are very different. We cannot possibly earn our salvation. We contribute nothing to our salvation. It's not about works. It's purely Christ's work. However, rewards and salvation are different. There are eternal consequences for faith. There are eternal consequences for our works. God graciously gives them to us on the basis of our outworking of faith. Faith brings forth what? What does it bring forth? Fruit. You are a Christian, but feel dead inside. Maybe we need to trust in the Lord and be generous as God leads. There's a lot of needs. And we don't want to miss out on the joy of giving because what that does is it shows us what we trust. I think the biggest barrier in my own life to giving is I have a lot of fear Do we trust God? Are we willing to take a risk and say, I am going to give and maybe 
to a point where it's uncomfortable for His glory? Am I going to use my time, my talents, and my treasure on things that will never be destroyed? On things that will last for eternity so I can reap eternal reward as if Christ is not enough? We need to get excited about this. This is exciting. This is exciting that the Bible promises us this. Let's not waste it. The opportunity. We get one shot at this. But you, in the end, in the end, as we're doing this imperfectly, as we're seeking the Lord and asking Him, okay, Lord, how am I going to steward my possessions? How am I going to steward my time, my talent, my treasure, and everything You've given me? We have Jesus. We have Jesus. We, we are united to Jesus. And as we imperfectly struggle to see the, the picture we have one another, to spur one another on in love and good works, so that at the end of the day, we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Because we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And out of that comes the fruit that only can come through being united with Jesus. Let's pray.